Uh, yeah, I guess I should introduce myself. <laughs> I am Olivia Grace Scott, though most people know me as Gracie. And I'm sure that most of you know my mom, so. All right, Acts 9. Let me just hold this instead. This is... All right, Acts 9, 26 through 31. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Oh, yeah, I got to pray to you. Uh, God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for just, you know, everyone gathered here, God, that you, you know, allowed us all to be here, allowed us all to be able to come together to worship you, to learn more about you, to just see more of your truth. I just ask that you would speak through Justin, Lord God, that you would, you know, whatever you would have to say to whoever here that, we would hear what we need to hear, that what needs to be said would be said, God, and that you would just continue to grow us all up into all things in you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Gracie, for reading for us this morning. Uh, if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we will uh, obviously be this morning, and as you're flipping there, I know Ryan probably mentioned it, uh, but I'm going to mention it again. Uh, this coming Sunday, two things are happening. One is baptism, and so uh, if you uh, would like to be baptized, you haven't been baptized after salvation, uh, please come see me, and we can uh, chat, and maybe next Sunday and make that happen. The second thing is, is uh, next Sunday, uh, morning um, that Josh and Jerry, Josh now and Jerry Culpepper are going to begin uh, a, a Sunday morning Bible study uh, over in the Ed building at 9 a.m. studying the Gospel of John. Uh, so if you're interested in that, if you need some, you want some more Bible study, uh, starting next Sunday, 9 a.m. Is that right, Jerry, next Sunday, I think? You don't know? Yeah, it's new to her. New to her. That's his wife. That's Jared's wife. It's news, news, news to her. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it's next Sunday. So in, next Sunday, he gave me a thumbs up. Get out of the lobby. Come in here. Uh, anyway, uh, those are just a couple now. Acts chapter 9. And so uh, I want to make mention of a couple of things before we dive into the text. Uh, and so uh, where we get this morning, it kind of bookends uh, this portion of Acts. Uh, we see that. I don't know if you noticed. But in verse 31, it was kind of like one of those summary statements that Luke has done throughout Acts, right? So when we get Acts chapter 2, he kind of summarizes right at the end of after the Spirit comes, he 
kind of does a summary verse in Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we've seen a few of those summary statements so far. And so when we get to Acts 9.31, we see the summary statement. We know that he is now bookending a different, another act of the, in the book of Acts, if you will. So uh, at this portion, we're really wrapping up the, the Acts 8.1 that began with the persecution to uh, the ministry in Samaria with Philip and then with him with the Ethiopian eunuch to Saul's conversion. But here's kind of the, the big thing that we have to see at the, this part of the book of Acts is that uh, the stage is now set uh, for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. Everything, remember, we have to read this as an entire narrative, if you will. And so um, we go back to Theophilus, the guy who Luke wrote this to, right? So this is a letter that Luke wrote to Theophilus, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts being one work. And whenever he wrote it to Theophilus, we understand his, his purpose was so that Theophilus would have certainty in the things that he's seen and has heard, right? So as Theophilus is reading this uh, for the first time, he now would understand that Luke has set up the groundwork for how the gospel is going to make it out of the Jews. And we've seen them so far uh, to the Samaritans, which half Jews, or even before the Samaritans, the Hellenists, uh, who we read this morning, who uh, Saul was debating with, uh, which would be a uh, a Jew that didn't live in Jerusalem, and now God has called uh, Saul to be a missionary to the Gentiles. So all the really groundwork is now set for the rest of the book. That's kind of just some things that we need to understand as far as the big picture of things. Justin, that's boring. We'll get over. That's just a big picture thing uh, that is that is happening here. Uh, and ultimately, we won't see Saul again to Acts chapter eleven. Whenever Barnabas goes and finds him uh, later on. And so we'll read, we'll get to that in a little bit. Anyway, Acts chapter 9. As Gracie read, we, we read a few things that really become the, the outline of the text. First of all, uh, the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, that we see in this text is that Saul, uh, who had just been converted, right? We understand that last week that he had been in Damascus. Uh, and then at some point he went and spent three years in Arabia, come back to Damascus. They want to kill him in Damascus. And so his disciples lowered him outside the walls in a basket. And so now we see that he finally gets to Jerusalem. So, now, so we're talking about three years after his conversion. Everybody with me? And finally, three years after his conversion, he comes to Jerusalem. The first thing that we see is that he attempts to join the apostles. You see that verse 26. It says, when he had come to Jerusalem, he had attempted. I notice that word attempted there. It's an imperfect tense. As in, it wasn't just one time that Saul tried to get with the apostles. That over and over again, he attempted to get with the apostles. It was a repeated attempts. But scripture says that uh, they were all afraid of him for they did not know that he was a disciple. So, so far uh, we see in Saul's life, his conversion, this incredible conversion, this commission to go be a missionary to the Gentiles, if you would take the gospel there. And so far, all it's brought him, what we saw in Damascus is that his own wanted to kill him. So now he gets to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. The apostles don't even want to be with him. And so imagine in their mind, like, so first of all, you think, have they not heard? The dude's been a believer for three years. He's been preaching Jesus for three years. They've been wanting to kill him in Damascus, and he gets there, and over and over again, we don't know how many times, we just know it's an imperfect tense that he attempted multiple times, and the apostles would not receive him. They didn't believe him for his conversion. I guess they thought this dude had like a long-range plan. 
Like for three years, he's been just wearing, he's been a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, just trying to get in the same room as them. So what you see is, in one sense, uh, just the extent of how of much of an opposer Saul was, right? Like, the, I mean, you have to see that makes Acts chapter 9 even more amazing his salvation that even three years after salvation, even three years after preaching Jesus and even being on the run before his faith in Jesus, that the church is still skeptical of him. And so there, 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 you see the, the sense in which how far off he was. And so the first thing we see in this text is that Saul attempts to join the apostles. But thankfully, in verse 27, we see that Barnabas advocates for Saul. So we see in verse 27, it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, uh, to, to, sorry, and, and, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road what he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of the Lord. So we see that Saul attempts to join the apostles. We see now that Barnabas advocates for Saul. Over and over again, Saul is not accepted by the apostles, and now Barnabas will advocate. And first of all, we, we introduced by, to Barnabas all the way back in Acts chapter 4. Verse 31, whenever we understand his name, means the son of encouragement. So right off the get-go, Saul is, or Barnabas is living up to his name, being an encouragement. Check out what he does. Check out like the, the essence of, of Barnabas being an encourager. All he knows about Saul so far is that, yes, this is who he once was. He had been preaching the gospel, but the apostles wouldn't accept him. Notice the first thing that Barnabas does. He says this, first of all, Barnabas took him. As in Barnabas brought him in. Barnabas gave him an ear. Barnabas Brought him to his house, if you will. We don't know the, light, the length between the first interaction here to when he brings him to the apostles. But what we see is that, first of all, Barnabas took him in. He spent time with him. He heard him, and he trusted his story. And all uh, questions that I wrote this morning is one of the things is, why are we, you know, for us, definitely if somebody like with Saul, and I hate this about myself, cynical in the sense that when somebody professes faith, oftentimes we're cynical until we're actually proven that it's true. And that's exactly what we see opposite with Barnabas is Barnabas took him. And he sat down with him and he listened to him and he gave him an ear and what Saul told him he trusted. He didn't have to have all the facts. He didn't have to have everything. What he saw was a man saying, hey, Jesus met me. He called me. He saved me. I've been preaching Jesus, and that was enough for Barnabas. Woe to us whenever we get to a place in our Christianity that we, somebody has to prove it, if you will. What the Lord, the Lord has done in their life. Now, obviously, there's going to be fruits of salvation, but we're all not just fruit checkers all the time. But what we see is Barnabas, he took him, he listened to him. Not only that, but he brought him to the apostles. He didn't just listen to him and send him to the apostles. This is a, this is a model of being an encourager, by the way, to being someone who steps in the gap. Not only did he take him to the side when everybody else had denied him and rejected him, but then he himself brought him to the apostles. He didn't just go, all right, Peter lives over there, go over there. No, he himself brought him before the apostles which speaks a lot about Barnabas with his reputation among the apostles that he could bring uh, this man named Saul in. But what you see is that he, he, he spent time. There was risk there. There was great humility in, in advocating for this man named Saul. It says he took him and he brought him. And what did he do? He declared Saul's conversion in his confession. 
He declared to the apostles. He didn't just tell them, he declared, though this is what the Lord has done in Saul's life. He appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And listen to me, since then, he's been preaching Jesus boldly. Like the very message that he was against, he is now proclaiming. What more evidence do you need to see, apostles? The dude who once denied Jesus is now preaching Jesus. He declared his conversion, and evidently it worked. Evidently, when when Barnabas brings Saul in, it it worked, right? And so next what we see is that, that Saul preaches with boldness. Look at verse 28. So he went in and he went out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, and they were seeking to kill him. So here's Saul, who's now time, now three years, if you will, uh, of following Jesus. There's been, obviously, we see that he's been, he's convinced some of the Jews to believe in Jesus. But for the most part, all we've seen is bringing in people wanting to kill him or people not accepting him, except one guy named Barnabas. But what do we see about Saul is that wherever he was, he was boldly preaching Jesus. And no matter of fact, it's two verses in a row. Like you should catch that. So check out again, verse 27 how Barnabas declared to him on the road, he had seen the Lord and he spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. In the next verse, it says that, and he was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. That Paul in himself, no matter what was going on, he was boldly proclaiming the gospel. He was boldly proclaiming Jesus. No matter if people accepted him, no matter if people wanted to kill him, he was going to preach the gospel. No No matter where he went, he was preaching the gospel. He was bold. You know what Peter, uh, Paul's greatest fear was in his life? Is that he wouldn't be bold to preach the gospel. We see that later. That he wouldn't actually preach. And unfortunately, one of the greatest fears for me and you is not that we <laughs> wouldn't preach, that we would have to speak up. But Paul's, his, his fear was is that he wouldn't be bold enough for the gospel. What we see is that he was bold. He was boldly preaching Jesus. He said two verses in a row. And ultimately, we can't chalk this boldness up to his, his personality. As I prayed earlier, there were times that he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, hey, will you pray for me that I may be bold in preaching the gospel? Then he wrote to the Colossians and said, will you be bold that I'll boldly preach the gospel. And what we understand is that boldness, really that's the meat of this text is being bold in preaching Jesus. Boldness is a gift from God because he asks us to pray for it. Pray for boldness. The reality is if, if we were all honest, we like to study the Bible and things like that. But, the, but this idea actually going out where we work and our relationships and our family, preaching the gospel is just something we usually don't do. And it's not, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm saying us. It's very easy for me to sit down and have a conversation with anybody. It's a part of my job. But one of the hardest bridges to jump over is all right, how are we inserting Jesus here? Am I the only one? Is that just me? Okay, I'm the only pagan. Why are you, why are you paying me to preach? <clears throat> one of y'all, maybe somebody else needs to come up here and preach because y'all don't have a problem sharing Jesus. So this boldness, let's unlock this boldness for a second. What was it in Paul's life? Because it wasn't just his personality. Yeah, he was a great leader. Yeah, he was zealous. 
But he often prayed, like I said, he asked for churches to pray that he would be bold. So it wasn't that he wasn't always, he was weak at times, right? We see that he was human. So what is it? How did Paul, what was his boldness? Where did it come from? First of all, it came from his conversion, right? Think about it. The dude knew who he was, yet God saved him. The dude knew that, that he once persecuted and killed Christians, yet God gave him grace, that's probably a little bit of a source of boldness, uh, that, that he could understand that he could preach this gospel message, that he could preach Jesus because of the grace that he had experienced in his own life. He was literally, remember, he was headed to Damascus. Why? To kill Christians, to persecute Christians, yet as he was drawing clothes, God saved him. A source of his his, his boldness was his conversion. Saul knew that he had met the Lord and he was made new. That was something that he would boldly proclaim. That was something that he, to his dying day, he would say, this is who I was, but this is what God has done in my life. Not only that, but his, I was trying to be a good preacher here. They're all C's. You're welcome. I'll pass my preaching class today. The source of his boldness was conversion, but number two was his commission. He knew that God had called him to preach. He knew that God had called him to go share the gospel. He knew that it was from God's voice himself. Say, Saul, I'm sending you to be a messenger of this good news. Thirdly, his communion. He was, he was indwelled by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. Why was Paul so bold? He knew what God had done in his life. He knew the grace that he had experienced. He knew that God had called him to go preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit that he was filled with and led by was leading him and empowering to do so. And lastly, he was confident. He was confident that God couldn't be defeated. How could he know that? Because he himself tried to defeat it. Listen to me, church. That's, a, that's a straight application for me and you. What's the source of our boldness? Is that we've met Jesus. He's called us to himself in grace. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the, to the, to the kingdom of his son. We, he's brought us from darkness into life. He saved us. We were dead in sin and we've been made alive in you in Christ Jesus. What's the source of boldness? Because I've experienced a grace that is beyond measure. Not only that, but he's called every single one of me and you to go share the good news. This, this idea of us sharing the gospel is not something, what should we do with this thing called Christianity? What would be a good thing to do with this gospel? We don't have to come up with that plan. God's already told us, go preach it. We shared this a few weeks ago, whenever it was Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? The Holy Spirit would lead us, right? But he never has to lead us to preach the gospel because Christ has already commanded us to do so. You with me? It's, it's, it's an imperative that our Lord Jesus gives. Go preach the gospel. So Saul was source of his boldness that he knew the grace and he knew the call that God put on his life. But guess what? Just like he was enabled in communion by his fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you and I have the same Holy Spirit. And he will empower and he will lead us to share the good news. But confidence that God won't be defeated. And if we, if we would bite onto that, our timidness may be defeated at times. Yeah, it may get a little awkward. We have to make a sharp turn in a conversation to share Jesus. But grace is worth that. 
And on top of that, he's called us to be his witnesses. This Acts 1-8 isn't just for the apostles. It's for all of us. You'll be my witnesses. We'll give testimony to what the Lord has done. And I want to remind you, I want to remind you, God will build his church. The enemy can't defeat. The enemy can't destroy. He will be with you. So no matter where you find yourself in the idea of just sharing the gospel, because we're all called to do so, I just like boldness. Well, think about your salvation. Be reminded of what God's called us to do. Walk by the Spirit. Obey the Spirit. And always remember, this gospel message will not be defeated. May not always be accepted, but it always prevails. Got ahead of myself way much there. I was supposed to come back to that later. But anyway, Saul preaches with boldness. The fourth thing we see in this text is that Saul is sent home. <laughs> it's just really funny. I thought this was funny. So I talked about it last week. In Galatians chapter 1, it's kind of Saul's recounting of what we're reading in Luke's account in Acts chapter 9. You know how long he was in Jerusalem? 15 days. That's all he was there. For 15 days, he was, defeat, he was debating the Hellenists, and they were already trying to kill him. He, he, he waits three years to finally get there, and the apostles can't have him in there. And we said, dude, you got to go. You are causing too much ruckus. Let's get out of here. So, for, so he was there for 15 days, and he was sent back to Tarsus, which is his home, but it's in Cilicia. Uh, Tarsus is the capital of Cilicia. And now at this point, we won't hear from him until Acts chapter 11, verse 25, when Barnabas goes to find him. And just, this may be cool, to, maybe it's important for me to understand. Since Saul's conversion, we've had three years and 15 days, right? He sends off, we pick him back up in Acts eleven twenty-five, and there's around 10 years from where we send him off in Acts 9, 31 till we see him again in Acts eleven twenty-five. So what did he do during that time? Some people, it's the silent years of Saul. Did he just go and retreat because the apostles told him to just go, hey, you got to get out of here? Did he go hide somewhere? And actually, we get an idea of what he did. If you go to Acts chapter 15, it's going to come up on the screen. This is after the Jerusalem council, which we'll get to uh, sometime in the next year and a half, two years. But uh, in Acts 15, it's the Jerusalem council. Whenever there literally is an official council is, can the can Gentiles be saved? Or do they have to become Jewish to be saved? It's like the official time of this is going on. And they decide, because of Paul and other people, yeah, Gentiles can be saved. We're thankful for Acts 15. Anybody, right? All right, so anyway, on the heels of that, they decide they're going to send a letter to these churches in these Gentile regions. Everybody with me? All right, so they pick it up in Acts 15, verse 22. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they were there, the two compadres are back together. That's going to be important. We see their first becoming together, and we'll see them do life together, missions together as they go. But anyway, they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Here's what the letter says. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are, the, of Gentile, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Wait, 10 years ago, where did Saul go? They sent him to Cilicia. And now we're writing a letter. There's brothers there. So in his 
evacuation, what did he do? He continued to be bold. He continued to preach the gospel. He continued the very thing that was causing him his life. He continues to do because there's brothers there. But listen to me, it's better than that. Go to verse 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Not only was he making converts, he was planting churches. For 10 years, we don't see him, but what? listen to me, he was preaching the gospel and it almost cost him his life twice. So they sent him back home. What did he do? The very thing that was about to cost him his life. He kept preaching the gospel. He kept, so much that he was planting churches that whenever the apostles finally accepted the, the Gentiles, they're like, good, they've been saved for 10 years. Matter of fact, there's already churches there. There's leaders in the churches. Glad you called them on board. So it's a beautiful picture. You can't stop the man. Because he met Jesus. And there was nothing. He, was, he met Jesus. He was confident that he had a call in his life. He had the Holy Spirit's power. And he was confident that the gospel wasn't going to be defeated. So no matter where he was, come hell or high water, life or death, he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what Saul would eventually say when his name became Paul? Follow me as I follow Christ. This wasn't just some hero that we memorialize. He's the example of being a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, he had a specific call to be an apostle and to get the gospel to the Gentiles, but he is an example of being a faithful witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your application it would be a faithful witness is Christ-centered. You read Acts chapter nine. What was he preaching? Notice he wasn't preaching, this is what God did in my life. Or, this is who I was. Or he wasn't sharing his personal testimony. He was preaching Jesus as savior, as the Messiah, the awaited one. Something that wasn't experiential. He was literally, now later on when he's standing before kings and he has to recount his story, he's going to share his story. But what is he preaching immediately? He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord. It is focused on Christ. The second thing is the faithful witness is empowered. We see him empowered. We see in verse 22 of Acts chapter 9 that he, was, he increased in all the more strength. The faithful witness is bold. This is where I was supposed to, where I spent a tangent while ago. I was supposed to do it here, so I'm just going to keep moving. Number four is here, a faithful witness will suffer. And when we do preach the gospel, that it's not always going to be liked. Now, for, for Saul, his is a little more intense. He was ultimately seen as a, as a betrayer to the Jews one who once carried the zeal or the torch, if you will, to extinguish the gospel is now preaching the gospel. That's why they wanted to kill him so quick. But all who desire to live a God of life will find persecution and people aren't always going to love the gospel message. A faithful minister, a faithful witness will suffer. Really the fifth application to this text so far is how can you be a Barnabas this week? How can we take somebody, hear their story, listen to them, advocate for them? Now, verse 31 is the summary statement. I'm going to wrap this thing. I'm going to land this plane. It's a summary statement. So Saul's gone. His story, his conversion, his commission is done. It's over with. He, now he's, I say it's over with. It's, it's covered. Luke's covered it, and they sent him off to Tarsus. 
Now it gives us this application or this, or this summary to which I've called a biblical church growth strategy. This could be a complete sermon, but I'm just going to do it quickly. That's why I flew through all that other stuff, too, so we can actually do this, too. Acts 39, 31, it says, so the church, this is not just a physical location, but the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, first of all, they had peace. They had peace. Why? Because Paul was out of there. They stopped stirring up stuff, right? The, <laughs> the, the one who once was their persecutor and that became the persecuted, he's gone, so they had peace. But there's also some historical things that the Jews got preoccupied with something else going on in the land that they left the Christians alone for a little bit. So they had peace. There was a time whenever they actually could breathe for a moment because really since Acts chapter 7, it's been fast-paced that we see. So they actually breathed for a moment. And check this out. It says, and they were built up. They were being built up. It's a, it's, it's a present tense. It's continuous. It's, it's, it's present. It was, it was happening. It wasn't just they were built up. At one time, they were being built up. They were being edified. There's this word edification, if you will. So what was the church doing whenever they had times of peace? Ready? That's kind of where we're, this is the church growth strategy. In that time, did they read the next hottest book about how to grow a church? Uh, did they chase the next greatest fad? What was their activity like in that time of peace that caused this edification and this walking in the fear of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the church multiplied? What was their secret? We have to assume that they were still doing Acts 2.42 that they were still devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that they were devoting themselves to the, to the prayers and the breaking of bread and to the fellowship, that life was still doing the same things they committed to in Acts chapter 2, that they were getting together and they were listening to the apostles' teaching and they were submitting and they were listening to and committing themselves to teaching. They were committing themselves to one another. They were committing themselves to prayer and taking of the Lord's Supper together. They committed themselves to God's word and to each other and what God had called them to do. And it says they were being built up in this time as they were committing to the word, as they were committing to one another, as they were committing to prayers and a fellowship, they were being built up. They were being edified. They were being strengthened. And it says this, they were being built up and walking. I want to pause there for a moment. Dr. Deloach, I thought about you this morning and while I was writing out these notes because I wrote out walking and I immediately thought about the Bee Gees. You can tell by the way that I use my walk that I'm a late. Anyway, here's the picture. You could tell a lot about people by the way that they walk. So they were being built up and their walk changed. They were being built up and how they lived their life had changed. They were being built up and who they were, not just when they were together, but whenever they dispersed, if you will, changed. They walked, and here's two marks of being built up. It says they walked, number one, in the fear of the Lord. When the church is being built up, whenever they committed themselves to God's word, and they committed themselves to one another, and they've committed themselves to the prayers and such, when they've done these things, being built up, first of all, they're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. Right with me? As, as If they're being built up, if this is the sign, if, if the church is actually growing in maturity and love for the Lord, they're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. 
This isn't like, uh, literally it means I'm walking understanding that my life is not my own, that I have a Lord and his name is Jesus. I'm not the Lord of my own life. That what he's called me to do, I do. Where he tells me to go, I go. What he tells me to say, I say. My life is no longer mine. It's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I am his. As the church is being better edified, as the church is growing up in maturity and holiness, they're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. They're not going to walk in apathy. They're not going to walk in straddling the fence. They're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. Everybody with me? A church, a church that's being edified, when they walk out these doors, Jesus is still Lord. Not just inside these walls, but everywhere I go. They're walking in the fear of the Lord, but also in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. As the church is being edified, as the church is being built up, the natural byproduct of that, there were people who were walking because they had the Lord and they were under the control of the Holy Spirit. They were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the byproduct of that? What's the last verse? The last two words. It multiplied. That's biblical church growth strategy. It's to build the church up so that we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the natural byproduct of that is that the church will be multiplied. When, when God is at work, here's the application of when God is at work, the people walk in reverence of the Lord and the resources of the Spirit. We see in this text that there's an inseparable link between edification and multiplication. And this is not news to you because we've talked about it over and over again. When it comes to, when it comes to multiplying, if you will, when it comes to how do we do church, uh, John MacArthur said this, when you want to grow a church, you don't focus on growing a church, you focus on building a disciple to edifying a disciple, to building up a disciple. And the natural byproduct of that is he will bring other people to know Jesus. If you focus on the church, the building the church, you'll only get the church. But if you focus on building a disciple, you'll always get the church. And that's what we see here. It's not just some crazy growth strategy. It isn't this, this is what we're going to do. It's literally they, they preached the word. They committed themselves to the word. They committed themselves to one another. They committed themselves to prayers. And the natural broadcast, they started living in a way that other people came to know Jesus too. And then multiply. When the church grows deep, it will naturally grow wide. So what's that mean for us is don't forsake the commitment that we've made to one another. Hey, I... Numbers are not a bad thing. Our numbers have been going up over the past two months. I love it. But the end goal is not just to put butts in seats, but it's to get people in heaven. See people come to know Jesus. And the commitment that you and I have made to one another is that we're going to commit to exist for the glory of God. We all signed it this earlier this year. And if you if you if you're not a member of Cross Point in the next 
little while, we're going to have another starting point. That's the way we become a member. When we become a member at Cross Point, what we commit ourselves to is that we exist for the glory of God by committing ourselves to three things. We commit ourselves to God's truth. Because we believe that it is the, has a life-changing power. It's not, it's objective truth. It is how God has revealed himself. And it is sufficient within itself for me to know and do anything that God needs me to know or calls me to do. I don't have to look outside the text to know God's will for my life. And just think, I can't can't tell you, and some of you can know what I'm talking about, and some of you experienced this, just as we've walked through Acts chapter 9 so far, how many times the text that we landed on was specific for what was going on on that Sunday morning. with people being here or things that people were going through or things like that. Like it is legitimately the sufficiency of God's word. Those things aren't pre-planned. We don't know things that are coming. Sometimes there's real life things that happen that we have to cater to. But these acts, if you've been here over the past eight months or year, and you felt like when you got here that God spoke specifically to you, know that these passages have been laid out for over a year and a half. It's the sufficiency of God's word. And what we've done as a body of Christ is we, we say, you know what? We're committing to God's truth because it, it changes lives, not just on Sunday morning, but in small group and in the other parts of my life, I'm committing to God's word, but I'm committing to God's people. We commit to God's people because God's called us to, that we're going to meet together weekly and we're going to study the word together. We're going to sing songs together. We're going to pray together. This morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We've committed that once a month, at least once a month, through the, for the rest of forever, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together until we do take it up with him in heaven. Right? That's what, that's what he told his disciples. Until that day comes, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper at least once a month. We're, we've committed to that. And we've committed... Not only to meet together on Sunday mornings, we committed to meet together and people in places and small groups and things like that. We've committed to that. We've committed ourselves to the mission, God's mission, seeing God at work and joining God at work in those places. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we commit ourselves to grow together? Because that's what we see in Acts 9.31 as the church met together as they committed to one another. They were edified. They were built up together so much so that their, their, their talk became their walk. They literally walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the spirit. And as they were doing that, God multiplied their people. We commit ourselves. The best way to, to serve God in his mission is to do what he's called us to do as the church. First, has to commit to one another, right? So don't forsake the commitment to one another. This morning, we do have the awesome opportunity as the church to take of the Lord's Supper together. It's one of the things that the Lord has left us. It's one of the ordinances. One is baptism, which we will celebrate next Sunday. I was, I hope this week I met with a little seven-year-old girl about salvation, and I hope she writes it in her testimony uh, next week. But I said, why don't we get baptized? She said, because when we get baptized, when we go in the water, we remind ourselves and everybody that Jesus died. 
And we come up out of the water, we remind everybody, remind ourselves that Jesus rose again. I said, that's a better answer than most adults. I'm seven years old. But anyway, next week we're going to be obedient to the Lord and, and, and baptism. And it is that picture, it's the ordinance that we see the gospel. We see Jesus' death resurrection, and the new life that he's given us. But we also have the opportunity to take of the Lord's Supper. It's another ordinance. It's something that he left us to do that whenever we take of it, we have a, a, a well, we have the COVID cracker cups anyway still, but we have this little wafer. It reminds us of the body that was broken. We have this juice that reminds us of the blood that was shed, that when we do so, Paul says that we proclaim the kingdom. We proclaim the gospel. And so this morning we had also an opportunity as the church to, to be obedient to the Lord and taking of the Lord's Supper. And one thing that I kind of want to pump the brakes on for a moment is usually whenever you do things quite often, they lose their all, right? So at first you may have been excited, hey, we're doing communion or Lord's Supper every month, but then now it's like doing Lord's Supper today is what we do. Woe to us. Woe to us if we get that that normalized or callous towards this. And so if that's us, I want to give us a moment to kind of pray through that. Right? You with me? Because like, I'm excited. I'm glad I got to preach. It was cool. But this is like a direct command from the Lord that we are called to be obedient to. We're talking about the very body and blood. Not actually. We don't believe in that. But You don't have to be a member of Cross Point to take of the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, but we do ask that you are a follower of Jesus. That you don't, because we are remembering something that we believe in, that we trust in for our salvation. We've placed our faith in that. That's why we're partaking of that. If you have not done that, then it really serves no purpose. But it can. It can. I want to remind you that it can. This very morning, you can trust Jesus as your Savior. You can have that. Say, Justin, this has been like crazy talk. Being bold and this, that, and the other. Boldness comes from conversion. And that, like, you can have that same conversion. You're not walking down a road to Damascus, but you're sitting at Cross Point Church. It's the same gospel, the same Jesus that saves. But the body represent, or the bread, the little wafer represents is that Christ died for our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God that we deserved. And then the juice represents his blood that was shed, that, that purchased the new covenant. The new covenant, if you don't know, that means the old covenant was something that, that God had, had written to, to Israel uh, and said, hey, this is how you walk in covenant with me. Now, they weren't always obedient, so that was broken. And then Christ came and said, listen to me, that old covenant was all pointed to me. And this new covenant, I'm going to write it in my blood. And the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant was, was God without man in him trying to work himself to God. But this time in the new covenant is God in man and God enabling man to live for God and live with God. is something that's not on his own strength anymore. And you can experience that same thing. The Bible says just... Trust in Jesus, confess your sins, and trust in Christ 
for paying for your sin debt. Can you do, will you do that this morning? If the Lord's calling you, please do that. What's, what's, don't put off the day till tomorrow what God's calling you to do today. Because tomorrow's not promised. Trust in Jesus today. I'm gonna pray for us. After I pray, the bands will come out and lead us in a song of reflection of time. If you need to just kind of spend some time and ask the Lord to, to stir your affections, to stir your thoughts towards, towards this taking of the Lord's Supper, to just pause us to, to think through it. And after the band gets done playing, we're gonna come forward. Uh, I'll be standing in the middle and Michael and <clears throat> Casey will be standing on each side with that and you can come as you so desire. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for just Acts chapter 9 and just how we've seen, just how it changes the course of human history. God, we pray now as we enter this time of, of thinking through the cross body that was broken and the blood that was shed. God, forgive us of any callousness or half-heartedness towards this. Restore the joy of our salvation, as David prayed. God, may we not be too quick to come forward to grab, but may we allow you to do business with us. If there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted in Jesus, that today you would draw them to yourself, that they would come to know you today, to trust in you for the salvation of their sins. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to be standing down here in the front with the baskets you move as you feel led to. Um, if you need, I'm going to ask you to stand, but if you need to remain seated to pray, you can. Uh, you move as the Lord leads. And I ask you as you come and get it, don't open it and take it yet. Take it back to your seat. And, as we're, and when I think we're all done, I'll come back up. We'll all take it together, something we do together. Cool? All right, y'all move as the Lord leads.